Well, if you would turn to Genesis chapter four, as we take up the next uh, portion of, uh, of God's word in Genesis, Genesis chapter four, our scripture reading tonight will be the first uh, 16 verses of Genesis four. So listen now to God's uh, holy word, Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground and from your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. As we think about the church, and we kind of ask the question, what is the church and what are the characteristics of the church? And we think about that, we know it's not a social organization, though we socialize and have fellowship. It's not a, uh, an organization that gathers to sponsor fundraising causes, though we collect money for God, the support of God's purposes. It's not a spiritual rotary club. We uh, think of some of the different images of the the scripture that we're familiar with, the body of Christ, uh, the temple in which God dwells by his spirit. Uh, The people are called God's special possession We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people called out of darkness into his wonderful light. A lot of these wonderful imageries, but one of the things that we've been trying to focus on as we've been going through Genesis is for us to see that the the church, the people of God, are the covenant people of God that have been given 
great and precious promises by God, the most important of which is, I will be your God and you will be my people. So the church is the covenant people of God, uh, blessed by God in a rich and wonderful way. We come to this very familiar story of Cain and Abel, and uh, we tend to look at the story of Cain and Abel and think, well, Cain's bad, don't be like him. And Abel's good, be like him. And we lose sight of the fact that the purpose God gave, not only this passage, but all of scripture, but the reason we have this story in the Bible is for us to learn about God's covenant faithfulness, preserving a people and gathering a people for his name's sake. And some of the characteristics of that gathering of God's people, we need to understand the purpose of uh, what God is giving to us in this chapter. And we see the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises and the preserving of his line, of the line of the woman, a clear picture of the sacrifice of Christ that we'll see here, and the church and some of the characteristics of the church. At the time of the Reformation, one of the debates, among others, that went on was, what is the church? Uh, What is the true church? And the Reformers developed three marks of the true church. The faithful preaching of the word, the uh, faithful celebration of the sacraments and the proper exercise of discipline. And we see these three marks in this picture of the church in this chapter of the scriptures. And that's really what I want to direct your thoughts to. How do we see the church here and particularly these characteristics? We see the faithful ministry of the word of God is Important to remember what's happened before this. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he created a covenant relationship with that, them. He gave them sacraments, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as symbols of that relationship that he had with them. He gave them stipulations. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. There was a fellowship between God and his people and a covenant love that was part of their relationship. Um, But they broke that covenant. Uh, They transgressed the commands of God and they fell in all their posterity into sin. And there was nothing they could do about it. God took the initiative And he comes first to query Adam and Eve as to what has happened. But God initiates the remedy in that great verse, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you, he's talking to the serpent, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Then he, one of the seeds of the woman, will crush your head while you bruise his heel. So it's the word of promise, the word of grace that was given to them and the proper response of the people of God to the faithful preaching of the word of God, the covenant promises, is faith, is to believe, is to receive that. Adam 
received the word of promise with faith. In uh, Genesis 3:21, it says the Lord God, or excuse me, God's initiative, the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Uh, the word of promise, uh, God followed that up with the, the, the act of redemption that God slew these animals. He shed blood so that Adam and Eve could be covered. Because the only, the only way that you and I can be right with God is through the, through the shed blood, ultimately, of the, the son. He was going to be bruised for our sakes. And God demonstrated that uh, with covering Adam and Eve. And Adam responded in faith in verse 20 of chapter 3. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I think there was more to it than just the fact that, well, everybody who's going to live comes from her. It was Adam's expression of faith. In the promise and covenant of God, the faithful preaching of the covenant, that he responded that she's going to be the mother of all those who will live. Not just live physically, but live in relationship and fellowship with God. I think there was more to it than perhaps um, it's sometimes taken. But then we come to Eve's response of faith to the preaching. So we have the the word of promise, and we have Adam's response, we have Eve's response, and that's in verse, now we get into chapter four, finally. So wonder when we were going to get to that. So now we're in chapter four, but in verse one, it's very significant. <clears throat> says, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Cain's name means um, something of value, a prized treasure, uh, Eve's comment of faith mentions the, the, the name of uh, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, Lord, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She's expressing her deep and lively hope in the promise of a covenant. God had said, he, a son of the woman, will crush Satan while he experiences a bruise. He will be bruised. And the hope of the promised son is woven throughout scripture. And Eve was expressing her faith in that hope. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Another very good way, appropriate way, some of your footnotes will have this in your, in your Bibles. Another way to translate it is that she said, I have gotten a man even the Lord. She thought this was it. She thought this was the promised son. She believed God so fully and carefully by grace. She thought Cain was going to be it. Now we know that he isn't, but that was her belief. There's a, and this, this hope is woven throughout scripture, but I just want to give you one more example uh, look at uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 29. <clears throat> so obviously Cain wasn't it, as, as the story unfolds. But in verse 5, verse 29, it says, 
Well, let me back up to 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and he called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one will bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Uh, What does Noah's name mean? It means comfort. And Lamech, faith in the promise that this is it. This is the Messiah. This is the one. He's going to be the one who will bring us comfort. And if you read the, the Bible carefully, woven throughout the entire Old Testament are snatches of that promise where they're looking forward to the promised son. But here, Adam and Eve are both expressing their faith in the word that is proclaimed by God to them, the word of promise. Now, Abel, she also had the second son named Abel. Abel's name means either breath, vain, temporary, or even worthless. Kind of makes you think she must have been having a bad day when she named Abel. But at any rate, we have Cain and Abel, the two sons, and... um, Uh, Later on, after Abel's killed, we know that part of the story. Um, You might think that the people were terribly discouraged. Maybe they gave up faith. Maybe they weren't going to continue to walk in the the way of the Lord and and listen to the word of God and believe it still. And that wouldn't be that would be wrong. Uh, If you look ahead in Genesis four, verse twenty five. It says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, the covenant, I mean, the church is the covenant people, the gathered covenant people to hear the word of God taught and proclaimed and by grace to embrace that with faith, to call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the church is all about. We have to have the word and God's calling on us by grace is to embrace that word and receive that word and follow that word. And that's gonna be a mark of the line of the woman. Uh, And as, as, in the um, coming um, sections of Genesis, you're going to see the development of the line of the woman and the line of the serpent and the line of belief and the line of unbelief. And uh, you see the development of wickedness in the one line and the, the, the note of righteousness. It's interesting. I won't have us go through it, but In the line of the serpent, if you count seven people down, uh, you come to Lamech, who was a bigamist and a murderer. That's the development of sin in the line of the serpent. If you take seven in the line of the woman, you come to Enoch. And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. He was so holy, he didn't die. He was taken to be with God. Uh, so we have this crucial mark of the church. Uh, Enoch's son, interestingly, Methuselah, lived until the day the flood came. He died the, day, the year the flood came. 
Um, the mark of the church is the faithful ministry of the word of God and for God's people to embrace that and understand that and receive it by faith. <clears throat> so it's crucial to the life of the church and we see it here in this passage and we see how God's people responded to it. A second mark of the church is the faithful administration of the sacraments and we see this <clears throat> in uh, verses three through five. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, <clears throat> and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fast portions. Now, the phrase, in the course of time, doesn't mean, well, one day that happened. It really should be, we should understand it to say, at the appointed time. It's not as though the people of God just kind of worshiped willy-nilly whenever they felt like it. It was... Uh, there was an ordered time when they would come to worship. And at the ordered time, at the appointed time, when it was the time for them to come to worship, they were to come and worship God in the way that he had taught them. And we see that here through the, the sacrifices, the, in this regular time of worshiping God, the way to come before God is by sacrifice. We cannot come to God in our own merit or in our own way. We have to come in the way that he has taught us to come to him. Uh, the, the problem of the fall or the consequence of the fall was that we are banished from the presence of God. And the only way we can be restored to the presence of God is to come by way of sacrifice. <clears throat> in the sacrifice that he commanded when the later on, when Cain will bemoan his punishment, he understands he's been cast away from the presence of God. Adam and Eve were sent out of the Garden of Eden and an angel was there to keep them from coming to God. So how are they supposed to, God, to come to God? How are they, in what way were they to approach God and properly and worship? Um, in one sense, Cain brought the, the fruit of the ground. Abel brought a, a, a sheep, a lamb from the, the flock. It wasn't in and of itself necessarily a bad thing that Cain brought a grain offering. Uh, later on in the law, God will direct that God's people do that. <clears throat> we know that the key thing that's the problem with um, Cain is he didn't have faith. In uh, Hebrews 11, it tells us, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And Cain, obviously, by implication, did not have faith when he brought his offering. But it's more than that. Uh, Cain was coming to God because he didn't have faith in the merit of his own work. And he came to bring what he wanted to bring according to his design and is in a sense as an act of bribery to, to win God's favor by his own efforts. The idea of the um, blood sacrifice is woven into what we've already talked about, the bruised heel, the the animals that were, were slain to cover Adam and Eve. <clears throat> and later on, Noah and Abraham and others are going to show that they understand 
a blood sacrifice is necessary to come into the presence of God. And so it's, it's, very, <clears throat> it's very likely, it's almost a guarantee that Adam and Eve, in, in rain, rearing their children, rearing their sons, Cain and Abel, had taught them, this is the time we come to worship, and this is the way God has told us to come to worship. We're to come offering a blood sacrifice. Uh, but that would have meant Cain would have had to ask or buy one from Abel since he was a keeper of the flocks and Cain was a farmer. Nothing wrong with farmers, but he would have needed to buy a a lamb from Abel and he didn't want to do that. Uh, You can already see the hostility between the brothers. He didn't want to humble himself to ask his brother for anything. So he came before God with his grain offering. Abel, by faith, brought the blood offering. Um, Cain was saying, well, this is, I'm buying my, my favor by my own efforts, which is impossible. Abel is saying, I have nothing I can bring except what you've given to me. And he trust in the promise of hope and he brings the blood sacrifice it's an essential characteristic of the church that there be the faithful administration of the sacraments we have to approach God in the way that he has said ultimately through the sacrifice of Christ and the sacraments you and I are given baptism and the Lord's Supper are pictures of that work of Christ We don't come to God by our own merit. We can't. We come to God in the way that he has directed us. Baptism, that reminder of the blood shed for Christ, by Christ for us, to cleanse us from our sin. The Lord's Supper, the ongoing fellowship, a picture of the work of Christ on the cross. Baptism is a one-time act that brings us into the covenant people of God. The Lord's Supper is our trusting in God's daily providence and care for us and fellowship with him day by day. And these are crucial parts of the life of the church and they had to come in the way that God had directed them and it's something Cain would not do. And Abel did. Well, what, ha- what do you do then when someone refuses to listen to the word of promise, the faithful preaching of the word, and they refuse to come to God and worship the way that he is directed? What do you do? Well, then the third mark is the proper exercise of discipline. It's an essential element of the true church. If we reject the word of promise, if we reject coming to God the way he's directed us, there needs to be the exercise of discipline. And that doesn't mean that you're encouraging a judgmental spirit or a hypercritical spirit. Uh, We can sometimes judge improperly or wrongly, uh, but there are steps to discipline. Our book of church order outlines a very 
laid out a series of steps, but we see God exercising it in this text in a way that's so critically important for us. The first step of discipline is not a punitive thing. It's an encouragement to do the right thing. It's an encouragement not to go down the wrong path. Um, And so we see there in verse five, for Canaan and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was angry and his face fell. Can, um, does your face show how you're feeling? Sometimes mine does. Or do you have a poker face? You can't tell what you're thinking. Anyway, his face fell. So you didn't need to be God to know exactly what Cain was thinking. Um, But the Lord comes to him. This is the first step of discipline. He doesn't immediately cast him out. The first thing God does with Cain is a word of encouragement. He says, why are you angry? God says, why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain, come on, do the right thing. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain, come on, do the right thing. Don't let this anger take control of you. It's like a wild animal right outside the door of his heart. And it wants to take control and take him captive and And God's saying, no, don't go that route. If you do, that's going to um, go down a wrong path. You must master the the sin that is seeking to take control over you. So the first step of discipline is not uh, to yell and scream and punish and beat or whatever. It's to, no, come on, wake up, do the right thing. God has given us resources to fight temptation by grace. No temptation has taken you, but is common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when we face our temptations, when our brothers and sisters are facing temptations, our calling, the calling of the church is... Not to be judgmental, but to just, but to earnestly appeal, encourage them. Brother, sister, this doesn't look like it's going down a good path. You need to rethink what you're doing. And we can be, we are to be this way toward one another. And, uh, but what was Cain's response to this first step of God's discipline? He still has evil intent in his heart. He refuses the word of grace, refuses that word of encouragement. He acts deceitfully and he kills his brother, allows his sin to take control. He spoke to Abel, his brother, probably, and said, hey, let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, he rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. So he sinned, sinned in a very grievous way. So God comes with the second step of discipline. The second step of discipline is still not to beat and put down. The the second step, interestingly, is still, still an appeal, but here it's an appeal for repentance. 
The Lord, God, the Lord said to Cain, uh, where is Abel, your brother? Now, he's going to speak in a minute about the blood of Abel crying out to him, but he's giving Cain an opportunity to repent. Where's Abel? What's happened? Cain, you need to repent. You've done something wrong. You need to come in sorrow and, and grief and turn from that sin. It's God's appealing to him to reckon, recognize what he had done and to turn from that. And so our second is to appeal, brother, you've sinned. You need to repent. You need to turn from that. Turn, turn to God in repentance. But what was Cain's response to this second step of discipline? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? <clears throat> and here we come to see, and, and I probably can't communicate it as quite as graphically as it should be, but this is the sneer of the ungodly. In Psalm 1, we have that counsel in the first verse uh, that blessed is the man who does not uh, walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. Well, Cain has taken his seat in the seat of the scornful. What he's saying to God is, well, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? Aren't you the keeper of Israel? Aren't you the one that should be watching over your people? Have you lost one of your sheep? You don't know where he is? He's sneering, he's ridiculing God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and throwing it back, trying to throw it back in God's face. It's a, <clears throat> a gripping picture of um, godlessness and ridicule of the Almighty. I'm not my brother's keeper. You're the brother's keeper. Why, where, have you lost someone? Have you lost him? <clears throat> and we have something before we get to the third step of discipline. <clears throat> we have something very important that God will say here in a moment is that Abel is a vivid picture of the sacrifice of Christ. When we look at Genesis 4, among other things, we need to see Jesus because Abel is a picture of Jesus and him being uh, slain is a picture of Christ's sacrifice. And uh, the book of Hebrews directs our thoughts to this. I won't have you turn there, but Hebrews 12, 24 says, when we're coming to Mount Zion, we're coming to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood <clears throat> that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the blood of Abel talking about in Hebrews 12, 24? Well, there are two ways to think about it. One is it's the blood of Abel's sacrifice. That Jesus' blood speaks a better word than that animal sacrifice. And of course, that's a significant truth in Hebrews. He labors that point a number of different times. Uh, he says in Hebrews 9, for if the blood of bulls and goats 
and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So there's no question that the blood of Jesus is far better than the blood of the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, and that's clearly taught. But I think there's something more here. I think the blood of Abel that's speaking is Abel's own blood. Because God will say to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And so we have the voice of Jesus' blood and the voice of Abel's blood crying to God from the ground. What is the voice of Abel's blood crying out? Justice. Judgment. Vengeance on the one who slew me. It's crying out for justice. Well, what is the blood of Christ calling out for that is speaking a better word. The blood of Christ is calling out mercy, forgiveness, grace, peace. That's a better word than the blood of Abel. And so God speaks to Cain and says, Abel's blood is speaking, crying to me from the ground. <clears throat> and then um, the third step of discipline is his banishment. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, <clears throat> which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain understood what that meant, not just that he wouldn't be a farmer anymore, couldn't do that. Uh, but in verse 14, he says, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. The punishment, the excommunication of Cain is that he's driven not only from his livelihood <clears throat> that he had been fairly successful at, but he's also driven from the very presence of God. And he understands um, the punishment and it's overwhelming to him. And he says, well, someone will see me and kill me. And God puts a mark on him so that that wouldn't happen. But the thing about Cain's response to the judgment is He's crying out and he's sorry, but he's not sorry he sinned. <clears throat> he's sorry he's in trouble. And uh, when uh, the young people are coming to make their profession of faith, one of the things Ryan and I do with them when we talk about sin is um, uh, what is sin? Sin is anyone of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. <clears throat> what is repentance? It's to be sorry for sin and to hate and forsake it because it's displeasing to God. <clears throat> so the, the rabbit trail we go down with the kids 
is, well, why are you sorry? Are you sorry you got caught? Because we're usually sorry we got caught. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is to be sorry for sin and hate and forsake it because it's displeasing to God. Cain was sorry. Sorry he's going to have to be banished. Sorry he couldn't be a farmer anymore. But he wasn't repentant. His tears and crying was like Esau's. Esau was sorry that he lost some of the treasures, but he wasn't sorry that he sold the covenant promise. And he wasn't repentant. And Cain was banished from the presence of the Lord. That's not the end that we wish for with discipline. The goal of all discipline is to restore the offender. It would have been the greatest thing in the world if Cain had repented. But he didn't. And he had to bear his punishment. He had to be excommunicated from the presence of the Lord. But this is the church. The church is the place where the word of God is taught and proclaimed. And you need to pray that it be faithfully done. And we need to embrace it by faith. The church is the place where the, the sacraments, the pictures of the redemption that is by Christ are celebrated properly. And it's the place where the proper exercise of discipline. May you and I grow in our appreciation for the, um, the church and its people and know the hope that God calls us to in being a part of that body. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wonder of your love and how richly you grow us in, in you. Thank you for your church, for the bond we have as your covenant people, how we can love one another and help one another. And even this, this picture in Genesis 4 reminds us of that. Help us to be um, to, to delight in the, the blessedness that we have through Christ and to serve you in one, with one another in the days ahead. And we ask all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.